But before I start, um, what I want to do is something slightly different, and hopefully it doesn't scare you too much. Um, hopefully uh, you, uh, you feel a little bit comfortable with this. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to talk to each other. Um, so I'm going to get you, it's, it's always good as a teacher to do group work because then you have to speak less and, and everyone else can do the work for you. So what I want you to do is just to turn to somebody, uh, if you can, um, two or three people together and what I want you to do is just take a minute and see whether you can share the message of Christianity with the person uh, near you in just one minute. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes, each take a turn. Okay, I'm going to bring you to a close there. Um, now, did anyone, when talking about the Christian message, did anyone mention Jesus? That's a good thing. Uh, did, anyone, did anyone talk about the structure of pastors and elders and deacons? No, that's a good thing as well. Uh, how about the sacraments about uh, baptism and uh, uh, death and weddings, sorry, funerals and weddings and uh, no? No, good. Uh, the structure of bishops? No. Okay. You see, the as much as I like the British education system and that it that we teach religious studies, uh, I get frustrated that when I pick up an RS textbook or I wander into a, a, a religious studies class, they sometimes get caught up in the trappings of Christian the Christian religion rather than the issues at the heart. Of Christianity, the issues of faith. You see, Christianity is uh, about our relationship with God and how He sent His Son to die uh, to restore that re the relationship with God, to die in our place, giving us certainty of salvation and eternal life. When I was at university, we were asked to do exactly that exercise, uh, to boil the Christian message down to one minute. Um, and uh, we, we were taught, if, if you couldn't come up with one, then certainly we were shown, uh, I don't know whether you know it, uh, two ways to live. Two ways to live is, is a very simple way of describing the Christian message with six pictures and six Bibles, uh, Bible verses that go with them. And if you... You know, if you struggle to tell the uh, message of Christianity, then that's something worth looking up. Uh, two ways to live. Um, now, why is this so important? Well, I think it is obvious why it's so important, but let's have a look at this passage and, uh, and figure this out. So, looking at uh, 1 John, chapter 2, so the first book of John, chapter 2, starting at verse 18. And in my uh, version, there is the title, Warning Concerning Antichrists. So we're going to read verse 27, verse 18 to 27. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they, were, they, are, uh, they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know this truth, but because you know it, 
and because no lie is, is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? That is the Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If we, what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it is taught to you, abide in him. Let me pray as we go on. Father, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you that you are still guiding us, that you have provided your spirit to guide us. But your word is clear in your message, this simple message of what you've done for us. And that we have eternal life, sure and safe, because of the great sacrifice that your son Jesus has given us. Lord, we pray that we can listen as you speak through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, what I need you to do is keep those passage, uh, passage open, just to check that what I'm saying is true, because that is exactly what we're talking about today, is to make sure that nobody leads you astray. So if you look down at verse 27, it says that we have received the anointing and that we have no need for anyone to teach us. That anointing, this anointing teaches about everything. Well, that's my job done. I can go home now because you know everything. And the passage says that you know already. Does that mean that we can go home? Well, if that were the case, then John would have finished at chapter 2. And certainly not feel the need to write another letter as well, second letter as well. So let's see what he's talking about. You see, I, I get given, sometimes get given all the fun passages. Uh, and so we, today, this passage is looking at uh, antichrists uh, and false teachers. And it's amazing that uh, your passage today was on Colossians, because Colossians is a book, you know, solely where Paul is talking about dealing with false teachers. Uh, definitely a book to learn and memorize and, and meditate on. Well, I wonder when you think about the word antichrist or antichrists, what you think of. Certainly Hollywood has done a, a pretty good job at making a very scary figure, maybe almost laughable with spinning heads uh, and 666 emblazoned on the, the head of a child. Uh, some, yes, yeah, it, when, when I was growing up, there were the Omen films were, were kind of doing the rounds and it was the story of a sweet looking young boy who was supposed to be the Antichrist. Now, John is not trying to be an alarmist here. Instead, he's doing the very opposite. John is very much giving the advice of a gentle father. You can notice at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 2, he starts the chapter with, My little children. 
And then in verse 18 repeats, children. Not in any patronizing way, but as a person who cares for them and is deeply, uh, deeply cares for them and is warning of the, them of the dangers to come. Now, if one Sunday I got up uh, in IBCBI and started ranting about get out of Johor because the Singaporean army is coming, immobilizing and is coming into Johor to take over Johor, then you probably might think that I was being a bit alarmist. Uh, that you might, might uh, probably wouldn't believe me, uh, but you might be thinking I was overstating things. And the Singaporeans would probably not want to do that. Um, instead, uh, let me put it this way. Every year when I talk to my students, certainly at the start of the year, but usually at the start of each term, I give them a little pep talk. I warn them of the things to come, especially those who are in the exam years. I say, this term will go quite slowly, there will be, it will be a hard slog, and then next term, all of a sudden, the syllabus finishes, and things go very quick. So you need to make sure that you're working hard this term. So I'm warning them of the things to come, that it's going to be difficult. Sometimes at the start of a topic I will say, this is quite a boring topic, but we need it as a fundamental foundation of what we're going to build on. Or this topic might seem a little bit easy, but you've got to watch out for these little bits. You see, it would be, it would be a poor form for me as a teacher not to warn them of these things. And it's good for them to be prepared. Now this is what John is doing. He is warning them of these people. And isn't it right that in testing times, the testing times that Jesus warned about, of suffering for his followers, that he warns about false prophets and false Christs. So, what's this about the last hour? Well, Jesus does talk about the end times, and Paul talks about the last days, when, uh, and the reference is of this in, is in context uh, of uh, the time between Jesus' Jesus' death, uh, death and resurrection, and the second coming, uh, the second coming and judgment. So the last hour, it is talking about these times, the last days, these this final hour. Uh, you will be relieved that I have just two points today. So my two points are to beware of antichrists. But before that, that we should be aware of what antichrists are. So be aware of antichrists and to beware antichrists. So look down at, with me at verse 18. So we need to know what the antichrists are. Children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard the antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. So preceding this antichrist figure, we have many who will be like him. Certainly Jesus talks of false prophets and teachers, and the prophet, uh, prophecies in Daniel also say this, uh, talk about, about a false prophet, uh, which they're then reflected in Re the Revelations. The book of Revelations talks about a figure who will rise up and speak against, a God, uh, against God. This is the one horn or the, one, uh, or the king. 
In Thessalonians, Paul talks about the man of lawlessness, who he also calls the son of destruction. So there is this figure, but, but John is not talking about that figure. For now, he is talking about people who will be like him. So what do we know about these antichrists? What does Paul talk about these antichrists? Verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Is that it? Well, there are many who deny Christ, uh, Jesus is Christ, aren't there? Atheists say that Jesus was just a historical figure, um, uh, but that Jesus was just a man. He was uh, probably a powerful teacher. Um, they say that he probably stole his ideas from elsewhere, but he was just a very charismatic speaker who came at the right time. Ag agnostics who are happy in their ignorance will probably say that you know, they don't know who Jesus is, uh, but Jesus is definitely not God. They'll probably say that to you. Um, so they are denying Jesus Christ. Jesus says, those who are not for me are against me. So those who are saying, well, we don't know, are against Jesus. Muslims will say that Jesus was a prophet, one of many prophets, uh, not God, but just a man. The Mormons would say that Jesus was a God, like many of the children of God, that we are gods, that he was not God himself, he was not the Christ, but he was a God. And so many more people will deny Jesus is the Christ. Are they the Antichrist? Well, it goes, John goes on further to, to talk about this. Verse 23, no one denies the Son has the Father. Well, this is the same thing, isn't it? This is a repeat of Jesus' words in John 14 when Jesus says, Have I not been with you so long you still do not know me, Philip? This is when Philip says, show us the Christ to Jesus. And Jesus turns on him and says, do you not know me? And he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? Oh, sorry, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So Jesus says, look at me and you will see the Father. So anyone who denies the Son also denies the Father. Let's see what else we know about these Antichrists. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. That's sad, isn't it? It's incredibly sad when someone leaves the church. It seems like a, a lot of this happens between, say, in big changes in people's lives, between school and university, where the children uh, are away from their parents, and so they're not being maybe dragged or brought or taken to church anymore. They don't have their friends at church, and so they don't see a need to go to church, or they become so busy with their university lives, with their social lives, with their academic lives, that they lose a reason to come to church and they drift away. Or between university and work, and I've seen this dozens of times, 
those who were so passionate for God at university, people who were on uh, the Christian Union committees, people who were evangelizing at university, who were so strong in speaking for God, who were leading others. Maybe it's at their work that they have a secular boss who, or senior management who frown upon it and it becomes unpleasant to talk about or, or unfashionable to talk about Christianity. So they only end up talking about Christianity at church and then because of work life becoming busy or their social life they start attending church less and less. Perhaps it's when you move to another country, and we see that at, at, uh, with, among the expats. I see a lot of people coming to my school who say they're Christian, and yet they've moved to another country, and they, they say they're passionate Christians, they say they're committed Christians, and they don't find a church when they come to Malaysia. Maybe the church for them doesn't meet their needs in terms of music or teaching or the social group that they want. They feel that they're not supported or they're not. The church doesn't suit them. Isn't it sad when people leave the church? But antichrists are more than just this, aren't they? Yes, antichrists. The Antichrist was part of the church family, perhaps a regular, but not one of Jesus' own. And you, you might think, how is that, that they, they could be calling themselves a Christian even and saying that they are Christian? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. That doesn't mean that everyone who faithfully attends church or even those who profess faith are part of the flock. If one of Jesus' own disciples could betray him, one of the twelve who, who spent three years living with Jesus and working for Jesus and with Jesus, then all the more can one of our own from the church. But for antichrists, again, it's more than that. It's not just that they were part of the church, nor that they deny that Jesus is God, but they are actively trying to lead people away. Verse 26. I write these things that you, uh, to you about those who are trying to deceive you. You see, for those who know God, we are promised salvation and eternity with God. Verse 17 says that whoever does the will of God abides forever. So, my second and shorter point is how can we be, be aware, oh sorry, beware antichrists. We need to beware antichrists. One of my students who left school uh, the year before last got in contact with me. He had uh, big questions because he had started attending a church. And this church, he seemed to realize that there was something a bit strange about the, this church. And he realized that it was a cult. 
One of the main things, like I mentioned before about Mormons, also uh, known as the Church of the Latter-day Saints, is that they deny Jesus is the Christ. That's, uh, you know, that's what some cults do. Others are much, much more subtle. In fact, this one was much more, more subtle. Uh, this one was saying that the, only they had the answers to Christianity. That if you, sorry, the only way to salvation, if you attended their courses, then you would find salvation. You see, they were adding to the gospel. And that is why it was so important to us in university to be able to, to explain the gospel in a minute. Because it's that simple. Jesus died for us to bring us to God substitutionary sacrifice to restore that relationship to God therefore if we accept his salvation we are promised eternity and a place in God's family Paul is so careful in Colossians to make Christians aware that anyone who adds to the gospel is wrong is a false teacher he repeats the warnings in Timothy and in Galatians goes as far as to say but if even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one who uh, we preach to you let them be under God's curse what a powerful thing to say if we or even an angel were to speak any other gospel let them be under God's curse And here, here's the truth in verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If you, what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Why would you give up that promise? Why would you risk that promise? For less than what he offered. Or for more than what he offered. Why would you have to do anything more than just trust in his amazing sacrifice? You see, when we, uh, we need to return to the simplicity of the message... That is what we need to do to make sure that we are guarding ourselves from these antichrists. What is it that you've learned from the beginning? Well, you would do a lot worse than just remembering John 3, 16 to 18, wouldn't you? You see these people holding up banners, John... I'm not sure what that does to the people who are, are not Christians. But straight away in my mind, I, I'm kind of reciting the passage. So hopefully, it's, I, I'm hoping that they hold up the banner, John 3.16, as an encouragement to Christians, because I'm not sure, I don't think non-Christians would know, most non-Christians wouldn't know what John 3.16 is. Maybe those who have been brought up in churches. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. This is the simple heart of the gospel. 
If you're not Christian here today, then I encourage you, I really urge you to talk to a Christian about, what, uh, about their faith and how it is that we have the assurance of salvation. To be saved, you need nothing more. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep meeting each other and encouraging each other and listening to good teachings and, and the outworkings of that salvation. It is good to have good fellowship and good teaching. To stay true to this simple message. The passage ends with abide in him. That's not, much, uh, that's not a word that we use much nowadays, uh, the word abide. It can be translated as remain in him. But I think abide has a much deeper meaning, a much more relational connotation, abide. There is a, a feeling of peace in, uh, in that, just abiding, resting in him, resting in God. It is very much the relational aspect that a child is to their parent. Abide in him means having a daily relationship with God. So, to summarise, how do we beware antichrists? Keep returning and know the truth of the gospel and abide in him. Verse 20. Trust in the anointing of the Holy One. That is the mark of the Spirit in conversion. The Spirit that now indwells you and reveals all knowledge to you. So abide in Him. What does this mean practically? Keep praying. Keep reading your Bible. Keep meeting one another to encourage one another. Keep listening to good teaching, to listening to God's Word. Not just meeting Christians socially, but to encourage one another. And all the more as the day approaches. I sometimes wonder, I try and go back to, to London uh, every, and Britain every summer. Um, that is my home, that is where a lot of my friends are. My sister lives there with, uh, with, my, uh, with her children and I have a number of godchildren there. And I wonder, and I feel a little bit guilty because I get a, a long summer holidays. So you get some very nice summer holidays. Um, but I feel a little bit guilty, guilty for not getting involved in the summer camps. The summer camps in Britain do wonderful work with children. Uh, certainly um, a great opportunity for them to hear the gospel and, and really uh, get stuck into the gospel. Uh, not just Christian, those from Christian homes, but from non-Christian homes go along as well. Um, but I remind myself because uh, I've become so busy when I visit London uh, because this is my I was back for two and a half weeks and I think I had two days where I wasn't seeing and meeting somebody and almost every lunch and supper I was meeting somebody and it was a joy to be meeting them and encouraging them and talking to them about God and my work out here but also hearing about their work and I know that God was using me to encourage them and I praise God for that that he can use me for that are we doing that with one another are we encouraging and meeting one another
not just on Sundays, but during the week, praying with one another, meeting to study the Bible, and keeping us accountable. Let me pray. Father, help us to abide in you, to live in your presence, to enjoy your presence, to hear your word, and to talk to you in prayer. Father, we thank you for this teaching and for this warning, and help us to be aware when those who come preaching a false gospel come knocking. Lord, help us to be uh, witnesses of you. And Lord, we know that if we stand for you, the testing times will come. And some of those testing times will be people who will question our faith and try and teach us a different gospel. Lord, we pray that we can be there with you on that final day. And nothing can take that eternity from us. Help us to continue to encourage one another as a church and glory in the great salvation that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.